one, two, three. Pretty close. I think that we do pretty well with that, honestly. I mean, it's been months and months, <laughs> and look, we've almost lined our claps up again. I think that we're finally learning, like, the white person needs to learn rhythm, and that's what that <laughs> clap is. It's us trying yeah. to maintain for our entire race. <laughs> Boy, that's that's a lot of burden for us. But I mean, um... yeah, you've probably been to a Journey concert. It's not good. <laughs> no. <laughs> All right, well, Beck, um, first I should tell everybody... You know, hey, we're back. It's been quite a while since we've recorded. Uh, I'm back with Beck. I'm Connie. And uh, this is Is There Gay Stuff In It? And boy, oh boy, this week there's gay stuff in what we're going to talk about. Let me tell you. There's gay stuff in everything at this point. But But we should fill everyone in on what's been going on in the few months since we... um, Here's actually what happened is we had our most successful episode ever. People were like, I think people were just like climbing all over themselves to download and listen to the last episode that we did together. It was ridiculous. I don't know what happened or, or maybe you and I just hit our stride. I'm trying to think of like, what did we even talk about? I don't remember. It's been that long that I do not remember <laughs> what we talked about. But you, um, at that point, were knew you were heading off to England. and yes. um and we'd started season two, and we made all these grand plans that we were going to set ourselves to a schedule. <laughs> we were going to try to record every week to two weeks. It was going to come out on a regular day so that all these great listeners that were giving us all this good feedback would have something mm-hmm. consistent. And then, you know what? Life happens. Life hit hard. My life changed substantially. Your life changed more substantially than mine. I'll fill everybody in on, on my mine and then we'll get to yours. Okay. Um, I um, had Stacy and I uh, discovered that my father was in a really bad situation where he was living, and my dad's 81. And so we were like, hey, what do the kids do? The kids do what they have to do for their parents. So we went and scooped up my dad and moved him in with us into our not very large home where <laughs> we also had our 26 year old son living with us <laughs> and Stacy yeah. had a torn rotator cuff from work that she'd been dealing with for six months we were anticipating surgery on that we were also preparing for Clexicon mm-hmm. which means just a hub of activity around here and but we just buckled down did what we had to do to move my dad in my dad was in really poor health uh, I was trying to straighten him out medically financially my dad ended up, uh, while he was with us here, had a heart attack. And um, so a lot of stuff happened. But we weathered it. We got through it. Um, and while all that was going on, while I was at Clexicon, I was getting messages from you. I think that's, that was, the yeah. timing was right on that, right? It's, I was getting messages, I was getting messages from you that you were having kind of a life-changing experience, which I had also experienced uh, young in my life. And that was that... Um, your mother had fallen ill. Yeah, um, it was right around the end of April. Uh, she went into the hospital on April 21st, and uh, I was here at school uh, just doing my normal, getting ready for finals, writing my last fiction writing piece, and, you know, stressing, as a college student does. And I got a call at, like, 2 in the morning on the 21st. My dad told me my mom was in the ER. She had coded, and that I needed to get there. So I went down. Stayed for about a week. She started to get better. Everything was doing well. Um, I left, came back home here to Hattiesburg for a couple days. And uh, then on the 27th of April, I was in Meridian at a Muppets exhibit. And I got a call from my dad 
that said, hey, you need to get to the hospital right now. And I had this really bad sinking feeling in my stomach because he wouldn't tell me how mom was. And I've experienced this with my dad before when my great-grandma died. He wouldn't tell me how she was when I was flying home. So Mm -hmm. I kind of knew it was coming, but I got to the hospital and my mom passed away on uh, April 27th. And so I kind of got pulled out of school there at the end, uh, finished my finals where I could, had Mm -hmm. a funeral down in Gulfport on May 3rd, and then flew to Ohio for her burial on May 7th. And then just kind of spent all of May kind of in this weird existential haze. Yeah, um, I mean, everyone has people, they lose people in their lives, but um, I'm going to I'm gonna pull the, uh, the card out here that losing your mother as a female when you are young mm-hmm. is a very devastating experience. I was 31 when my mom yes. passed away, uh, so a little older than you, mm-hmm. but um, I didn't live as close to my mom, so I did not see her as much, mm-hmm. and one thing that I regretted with that is that I didn't take more time. I thought I had more time, and people say that. Yep. And so yeah. I'm a big I'm a big preacher of that now to people is that, you know, I'm not going to say that to everybody like, oh, every time your mother calls or your dad calls, you should pick up the phone. Some parents mm-hmm. aren't good it. parents, not worth you doing whatever. And if that's that's how it's more healthy for you to not, then please do that. But if you have a good good relationship with your parents, mm-hmm. you never know. And uh, you've experienced that now, too. So that was very the, the hardest part of it is my mom used to text me every single day. Like, mm-hmm. every single day. She told me yeah. goodnight every night. Like, that's a thing that she always... And it always annoyed me. And mm-hmm. now I just kind of, like, wish that I could, like, text with her. And I it can't. And, mm-hmm. like, it's frustrating to me. It was also the mm-hmm. fact of, I never wanted to go to college. She applied me to USM and told me I was going. And so I did. I was supposed to walk at graduation a exact week after she passed away. And that was what frustrated me the most, I think, and made me feel so angry just because, like, I had gone through so much to get to where she wanted me to be, and she wasn't even there to see it. Yeah, I feel the same way. Like, um, you know, at 31, I was still figuring out who I was in the world, what I wanted to do. I was not doing what I'm doing now, which is what I was intended to do, and, and I was <laughs> not, a, you know, I hadn't had many successes at that point, and my mother was always very proud of me, no matter what I did. She mm-hmm. was the like the the wellspring of unconditional love and support, and the fact that, you know, all of these things started happening for me in my life after she passed away is yeah. really, really, like, hard to deal with. It is. It, it definitely is, especially, like uh, like you said, uh, right after that, I went to London for yeah. a month, um, which... And who, you would, no one you'd have rather been talking about with than your mom. Uh-huh. Right? That was, like, her thing. She traveled around and went to London, but it was also difficult because three days before I left, I broke my foot. Yeah. <laughs> so... That was the other part of life, for b- busting yeah. in on us. Yeah. yeah, so I also broke my foot right before I went to London, and I couldn't be like, hey, mom, guess what I did? <laughs> broke my foot. Like, yeah. can't go yeah. anywhere, stuck in my dorm. Yeah, and and how you broke that foot, just like walking on the beach? was I didn't even make it to the beach. We were going <laughs> to the watering hole next to, like, my girlfriend's, like, beach house, and it was, like, this jank little hole in the ground with some water, and I was like, cool, let's go do that. Stepped off the sidewalk, stepped in a hole, broke my foot. Damn. They told me that it's because my vitamin D count was so low. It's supposed to be at, like, a 30, and mine was at a 9. Yeah. So it was going to break anyways. But then yeah. the whole trip, anyone I told that made fun of me because I am gay and needed the D. 
it was a whole day. thing. It was you were a low whole, on D. I was low on the D, and it's all my own fault. <laughs> I'm gonna tell you what, Beck. I'll take a few broken bones <laughs> to stay low on the D. I agree. I mean, I'll take. I, t- I take the supplement now. <laughs> yeah. D in a bottle. Yeah. That's what it is. Yeah. You're not getting the authentic. You're nope. getting the, uh, nope. the imitation supplement. Yeah, that's, that's what you got to do. <laughs> boy, there's a whole other uh, tangent we could go off on on that, too. I mean, yeah. <laughs> but that was the joke for most of the people there in London. that They just kept making fun of me for my lack yeah. of D in life. And uh, here I am paying for that. <laughs> well, I... I don't want to keep on this topic, but I did feel like we needed to um, fill everybody in on why we've been gone so long. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, it's this happening to you is going to color the rest of our conversations oh, 100%. that we have. So that way people kind of know where we're at and what happened um, with you. And um, But I don't want to dwell on it because I know that if you're like me, we're both going to sit here and end up in tears before oh, this. Oh, 100%. Is. I've also done the thing where the way that I cope is by writing. I've yeah. filled up like three notebooks in the last month. I haven't written that much in all of college, and yet here I am graduating and learned how to write again. Well, <laughs> boy, you've just made an instant segue that you didn't know you were going to make right there, I didn't mean, you? I think so. <laughs> <laughs> because the thing that you and I have now been for a couple of weeks while while you've been getting back and getting settled and you know visiting with your dad and your family and getting mm-hmm. back into the rhythm of being back in Mississippi and seeing your girlfriend, which mm-hmm. you were gone from for a month, which would be tough. I've I mean, never, the cats were more important. In 28 years, I've never been away from Stacy for a month. Really? We, uh, That's impressive. Probably, we've never spent more than three to four days apart. That's impressive. See, me and yeah. her are good about, like, we usually do our trips apart anyways. Like, mm-hmm. last year she went to London for a month, so this year I got to go. Mm-hmm. So, like, even when we do vacations, I'll go to, like, VidCon or I went to Clexicon, and she'll go to a conference the next week or while I'm gone. We go on separate vacations. So, yeah. us in October going to Carmelicon first time that we're going on a trip together wow uh-huh. that's gonna be fun and uh, mentioning car Millicon, i <laughs> am also going stacy's going uh we're, that's our first trip up to toronto it's gonna be great mm-hmm. i'm looking forward to being around all the cream puffs and uh you will be there with tiff so hopefully mm-hmm. we'll be hanging out a little bit in a hopefully. in a foreign country together i mean gotta love a foreign country i'm here for that yeah i've learned all about them now <laughs> A super gay city in a foreign country. Exactly. That's what I need. There wasn't enough gay in London, and I kept saying that because Pride was the month after I left. I missed Pride both in America and in London. Yeah, that's rough. (laughs) But, you know, I was here at home and just did not even go participate in any of the Pride stuff because June was oppressive heat month here. Uh Uh-huh. And plus, with my dad's situation still kind of rounding itself out, being away from home a lot was not going to be something that I was comfortable with. That's fair. But I'll tell you what did hit in, I believe, late May, early June, which was the best thing ever for someone who was wanted to be at home, out of the heat, and in the air conditioning, was our main topic for the day. Mm -hmm. You've talked about diaries and writing. (laughs) So let's just say (laughs) that we could not wait to start talking about the television show Gentleman Jack. That's that's correct. <laughs> that, yeah, I mean, I'm I'm not ashamed to say that I am. I'm not just obsessed with this show and with <laughs> Ann Lister. I'm I'm consumed. That's what I've been telling people. Like I don't care. I mean, anything I can find that relates to it to talk about it, I'm going to talk about it. The other person, I don't care who they are if they know what I'm talking about. <laughs> I do that. I do that. I'm still talking about it with them, and they're like, "Oh, okay, yeah, I'll try to watch it." And I'm like, "Watch <laughs> it. You need to wa- watch this so we can talk more about it." 
but I have become consumed with that show. And see, you were in England, I guess, when it started, right? Uh, actually, no. I was home when it started. Okay. I left. They were on episode four when I left. On the HBO version, because yes. I guess I should tell HBO everyone. This is, H- this is a show that aired on HBO here. But oddly enough, it's a BBC One show, and they started showing it in the U.S. on HBO before they started airing mm-hmm. it in England on on BBC One, I think it is. It, it is, there. yeah. Um, so I didn't know how that was working out for you if, like, you got over there and started watching Behind, um, or if you watched some here before you See, left. See, I watched up to episode four before I left, and then I was like, oh, is it over? Because I couldn't find out anything. If there were more episodes coming, none of that. I was confused. So then I got over there, and they were like, episode two is showing tonight. And I'm like, what do you mean? What do you... But I've seen episode two. I was so confused. So I kind of just waited it out until I got back home and then watched the last of the season. Because right. I would have had to wait if I was in London anyways. Because yeah. you're not allowed to watch, like, HBO shows or Hulu in London. So, Yeah, and it's odd for me. I, I mean, I would love to know that decision of, like, airing it all over here first before over there. I wonder, like, what that was about. But... Anyway, we so we got to finish here, and, and meanwhile, I was seeing on Twitter like everyone that was behind, mm-hmm. that was in England and other places watching, and I'm just like thinking, boy, you know, you guys are all this caught up now, but wait till you watch these next episodes, exactly. you know, you see what's going on. So for anyone who's listening that has not fallen into the pit, see, <laughs> fallen into the pit into of the pit. <laughs> Gentleman Jack yet, it is a show by a woman named Sally Wainwright who has done several shows uh, in England. Um, I just started watching one of them right now, Scott and Bailey, which also has uh, Saran Jones, who plays mm-hmm. Ann Lister in, in Gentleman Jack. She's been in a few of her, her shows. And she grew up near um, a place called Halifax, mm-hmm. which is where Ann Lister, who the show is about, is where she is from, and her like ancestral home is there. It's called Shibden Hall. Ann Lister was a person that Sally Wainwright became obsessed with, but yet when she was a kid growing up there, she didn't even know who Ann Lister was. It wasn't anything popular. Like, her school would go for their, like, you know, here in the U.S., we have field trips where you might go visit a dairy farm or a, mm-hmm. a museum or something. Well, her her little British school kid classes would go to Shibden Hall, which was the home of Ann Lister. Mm-hmm. And she just thought it was a cool place and, you know, loved the place and was kind of obsessed with it as a kid. But she didn't even know any of the this history of Ann Lister because... Ann Lister uh, lived in uh, late 17-something and died mm-hmm. in 1840. Was it 1840? Yeah, it was 1840. Yeah, and she was a diarist, but no one knew that until the 80s, 1980s, mm-hmm. when it was uncovered because these iries were hidden away by her family in the walls of Shibden Hall because a relative had found them and decoded the writing that Ann did. Ann would just obsessively um, detail every day of her life from a certain period in time up until near her death. And she wrote in what she called a regular hand for just the daily mundane things, trips, visits, socializing, what she ate, where they visited, what they wore, gossiping about people or whatever. (laughs) But then she had um, something that she wrote in called Crypt Hand, which was a secret alphabet that she devised herself, which already makes her cool as fuck, that she made up. Her own fucking secret alphabet made of numbers, symbols, um, z- zodiac signs, and all kinds of little ticks and marks and things. And that's how you know that a bitch has secrets. <laughs> yes. If she makes up her own little code, you know she's got some spicy things to tell you, but she doesn't want you to know without getting real close. 
And that's what they discovered is all the spicy things that she wrote were in the crypt hand. Mm -hmm. Now, the spicy things, since we don't, some of you might not know who Ann Lister is or what her deal was yet, is that Ann Lister was <coughs> what you would call today, I would think, a gender nonconforming, possibly non-binary lesbian. That is correct. That is, that yes. is exactly what I would call her. <laughs> and at that time, as it's been said a lot in the promotion for this show, the, the word lesbian wasn't a term. It wasn't coined, it wasn't discussed, it wasn't that person's a lesbian, or I think she's a lesbian, or I'm a lesbian. That just wasn't the word. So she was living in a time where she did not know what she was, but she knew who she was. I guess is the best way that I can put it, because I've watched the show and I've read the diaries that they transcribed and made the show out of, and I'm currently almost finished with the full book of her diaries. Because, see, I've gone the deep dive. Yeah. See, the history of what you're saying here, like, textually, what people would say in those times was that um, she had an otherness. That, yes. Like, around that time, that's when, you know, homosexuality was not so much called homosexuality. It was called otherness or um, differential. Like, mm -hmm. a differential or otherness. Uh, this is something that I studied. While I was in London, we went over a lot of old Gothic stories. And the class I was in, I'm always the person that brings the gay to the classroom. And Bring so, you know, I, I made it very apparent that uh, possibly, you know, Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. Mr. Hyde was probably gay. He lived in Soho and he was only meeting with old men late at night. He was probably cruising anyways, you know, but he had yeah. an otherness that somebody talked about during it. Mm -hmm. And that kind of brought me to speaking about Ann Lister in the class and about she did not have, you know, words for this. But people knew what they were trying to say about her. So there is that. Yes, um, from reading the diaries and, and, and watching all the stuff that I've watched about the show, now, you people did, as you say, notice that otherness, mm -hmm. and it was something that they didn't keep from her that they noticed. Mm -hmm. She was most often, let's, let's back up a little bit and say that <laughs> Ann Lister, at, some, at, at a point after a, a very upsetting event happened in her life, first off, she, she was sent to a boarding-type school by her parents because she was kind of unruly. She gave them a lot of mm -hmm. trouble as a young lesbian is wont to do. <laughs> I mean, you know, what, what, are the does. what are the parents going to do? They're going to send you to, an, uh, to a girl's school, <laughs> which is, as you and I have said, if I could have gotten sent to a girl's school. I'm here for it. Let's do it. <laughs> what did I do wrong? That did not happen for me. I mean, I'm built for the girl's school. Exactly. I was built for it. I just wasn't bad enough. So she was sent there and met a young girl, Eliza Rain, and they, for some reason, I, I think maybe the two of them were perceived as other there also mm -hmm. they um were kind of squirreled away to sleep alone together in the attic room <laughs> of the school yeah because that's not gonna make them do anything not at all no, no it's the ultimate sleepaway camp sleepover mm -hmm. right there totally. i mean so she she meets this girl and they are instantly taken with each other and they form a really intense bond and she you know knows this about herself and knew about it from a very age that she as she says i love only the fairer sex she knew like mm -hmm. she she didn't have to see it anywhere else in the world she knew which i recently spoke with someone who asked me it was on another podcast how she said how you know how do you know how did you know you were gay and i was like how did i not i just mm -hmm. i wish that i could explain it and it would make hopefully make more sense for people like if we could explain what it was maybe it would make sense to people but it's kind of unexplainable you just always know it it's just a feeling that you always have and it's not like you've seen other people and you imitate that it's just no. literally inside of you 
Mm-hmm. And there just comes a point where you can't fight it anymore of, like, there's something here. So, I mean, there, there really isn't a, a... We don't have the words. And at that point, yeah, it is just an otherness. It's mm-hmm. like you feel something other than what you are seeing Exactly. So she had that, that happen in that relationship. And then that just set her off on her life. And let's just say, Anne Lister was a player. <laughs> yes, she was. I mean, the, the line in the, the lyric from the song in the show, Shibden Hall, she had them all. Mm-hmm. I mean... She did. And someone said, if you were seduced by Ann Lister, either on the page or the bed, you never got up. That is and correct. it's like, whoa. You know. <laughs> so she, she uh, resigned herself to keep a diary every day. And um, it started, I don't think they found or, or decoded the early sections from those Eliza Rain years. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think they start much later. I can't right now remember exactly when, but anyone, if you're interested in this or you love the show, I, I recommend that you read the diaries because I they're, they're my bedtime reading now, <laughs> and, uh, and it's great. So she started to keep the diary, and I think, you know, the Sally Wainwright from the show says that one thing about Ann Lister is that she seemed to have good mental health. Ann Lister said that keeping this diary let her pour it all out onto the pages and and deal with herself and her thoughts and her inner, you know, monologues and things mm-hmm. on these pages. And she would go back and reread portions and sections of her life because she had cataloged it. So she would go back and read these sections in order to understand herself and the situations, which is like, um, I mean, I think that's something a lot of people do, though. Like, that's something I, I know from a young age when I first started having weird feelings and stuff. I started my own journals. I never called them a diary because I was a cool kid. But, like, I always had journals that I kept. And then when I moved on to middle school or high school, I could go back and read those things. And I think that that's why now I've started writing again. So I I think that for a good mental state, some people are writers and need to express it that way. Because Mm -hmm. they have so much inside and so many feelings that it's easier to do it that way and you can help understand yourself. So I think that she she was very much onto something by doing this. It mm-hmm. helped for people to learn about her in the long run, but I mean, I think it's a very human thing to want to write about yourself and then study yourself. And I think that that stuff, writing all of that stuff down and, and basically having her own therapist herself in mm-hmm. that journal helped with that otherness in public too, mm-hmm. because she, you know, we've said she's non-binary, she's gender non-conforming. She knows she's a lesbian, just doesn't know that word. <laughs> she knows she knows she loves women. Mm-hmm. Um, and she says, I know how to please girls. That's one of her quotes. That is one of her quotes. Which is a bold, like, BDE quote. I mean, I she, she knew what she wanted. Yes. <laughs> and, and they say that she was so clever and quick, and that was like a rock star in today's times. Like mm-hmm. a rock star walking into the room. No matter who you were, or you wanted her attention. You wanted her to want to talk to you um this you know that was like you were you were blessed or whatever (laughs) if she took an interest in you and she you know her family was not like the highfalutin high society family but she had aspirations to that um they were a good family they had a decent amount of money but she had higher aspirations because she wanted to travel she was very um she wanted to educate herself on everything and as mm-hmm. we all know, travel is the best <laughs> educator that there is. I mean, unless you break your foot and you're stuck in your flat in London. Yeah, you learn a lot about your one dorm room. You feel like a fish <laughs> in a weird tank. Yeah. It's a great time. You do learn a lot about yourself. So she also, again, knowing that she had this otherness and that she loved women, she didn't want to 
marry a man, which was customarily what women then had to do, unless you had your own money and could control your own uh, destiny, which not very many women could. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's a series of her going through a bunch of different relationships. We had the Eliza Rain relationship. Then she, and, and they had a wedding ceremony as well. They oh, I didn't know that. Yes, that's you and I were talking earlier about that, yeah. and I was going to try to fill you in, but I thought we would just discuss it now. Okay. So, Anne, we'll back up one step again. Anne Lister <laughs> and, a, and a lady named Anne Walker are, you know, for all purposes, they were the first married English lesbian couple. They took a took the sacrament together in church and exchanged rings because Anne was seeking a real partnership, a real marriage. You know, like wanted a wife, so she. You know, we see in the show and we read through the diaries and we see that relationship, like her final relationship, you know, that happens. But let's look way back to teenage years with Eliza Rain. They did the same thing. They did a private ceremony where they took a sacrament themselves, but just not in church, I think, and exchanged rings. For some reason, shortly thereafter, I would have to reread it. But I think Eliza might have been a little bit mentally unstable Mm. also. And Anne had been introduced to Mariana Belcom, who is her second relationship. Oh, she becomes acquainted with Mariana at some point after the Eliza stuff. And, you know, and Eliza and her are married. And in Eliza's eyes, they're married. And then so that, I guess, and if I'm getting any of this wrong, any of you other scholars can tell me, but I've packed a lot in in a couple <laughs> of weeks. She left Eliza for Mariana. That's and, messed up. And apparently that is what drove Eliza in further into insanity. And Anne conspired with Eliza's parents to have her committed to an insane asylum. Oh my god! <laughs> this whole time, just thinking, oh poor Anne, can't find anybody to love her. No, she sent her first love into the pen. Yeah. <laughs> oh god. After I discovered that at the end of my readings of her, and you know, then I was like, well, wait a minute, I see a pattern here. She has her whole life seeks out these women that she wants to marry and get in some sort of settled, you know, relationship mm-hmm. with, it, marry them. And, and have a partner that she loves. Well, she had that, but something better came along in very early days, and she kind of pushed that person to the side, jilted them, betrayed her, and that becomes a pattern in Anne Lister's life then because almost every other woman that she's ever with, except for one, which we'll discuss later, mm-hmm. um, leaves her to marry a man or to improve their station also by by conforming to society there's something about that and what you're saying that like i see that but part of me wants to be like doesn't she kind of push them to in a way like mariana even says i tried to leave him and you sent me back like yes she did marry him at first of her own volition because she wanted the status Mm -hmm. part of me feels like Anne's pushing them back to do something else well how that happened (laughs) and we're getting so deep into stuff that people if you haven't watched it you have no idea but what happened was um before Anne returns to Shibden Hall to inherit it after her relatives have died that and have left it to her Mm -hmm. she makes a last ditch effort and goes to see Mariana who Mariana in the middle of their relationship they had a 17 18 year long lifelong love relationship through uh different other lovers, different situations through Mariana marrying a man named Charles Lawton. And side note, when Mariana and Charles married, 
and lived with them, went on their honeymoon with them and lived with them for the first six months of their marriage. I did see something telling me that. So, you know, I don't think Charles is dumb. He's not dumb. He found out towards the end, which is why it was frowned upon for her to stay towards the end of that six months and she went off. But back to what we were talking yeah. about. She goes makes a, a last ditch effort to say, you know, I, I'm getting Shibden. I'm come home there with me. Come live with me. Come marry him. They're already married. They've exchanged rings. Anne wore the ring that Charles gave to Mariana. Mariana wore the ring that Anne gave. Yep. So that's a fucked up situation yep. right there, too. <clears throat> yep. It's so fucked up and lesbian that I'm so all about it. There's U-Hauls back in, in, yeah. <laughs> in this area for them. U-Hauls are just carriages. Lots yes. and lots of carriages going <laughs> everywhere but where they should be. Yes. <laughs> so she makes the effort to go back and get her, but then, and they are, which she refers to in the scene, in the, with the thermometer scene, where she refers yes. to when I saw you in Hastings. What happened was um, they were having this little, you know, tryst again, and they ended up going out to walk on, I think, like a boardwalk or something. Mm -hmm. And Anne was being, her otherness was too noticeable because she dressed like a man. Um, she did not dress feminine enough. Even though she's still wearing the dress, she's top up masculine. Mm -hmm. And Mariana could not stand the scrutiny of being looked at and said some really hurtful things to Anne. And that's when she says in the, in the scene, you're bringing up some very poor memories. Okay. So she was, yeah, all right. So she came back to get her, but then Mariana was very cruel to her. And so she left to go to, because she was like, this will never work. And because she wanted someone to be out and open with her. Um, so anyway, uh, the thing, there's a scene that they cut out, which is another thing about the show, is that the BBC episodes are full episodes as they were intended to be aired. And then for some <laughs> reason, HBO decided we're going to cut little snippets out of each one of these episodes that in some instances were just little weird things that didn't really mean anything because maybe that's america were, yeah maybe they were cutting for time but then a few of the episodes they cut out really useful information so we see the two of them fighting in a carriage about that you know saying you you didn't you sent me back that kind of all that mm -hmm. kind of stuff and Anne is very upset she doesn't know why mariana cannot commit to her um because like i said it's been a 17 year relationship that's a really long time mm-hmm and they cut the part out where Mariana says, "You, I have no other, what's it she says? Like, I have no other recourse or yeah. no resources. Uh, resources basically. for, like, I have no other way to be independent. I have no, nothing else to fall back on. Right. So at that time, you know, women were expected to just marry because they need to be taken care of. Mm -hmm. What were they expected to do? How were they going to survive for the rest of their lives? So Mariana was being, as she called it, worldly. She said, I have to be worldly because... Mm -hmm. She says, you and your Miss Walker, who is the woman that Anne ends up with, you, you know, you don't have to worry about that. Because they were, they had, they were moneyed and landed. She had Shibden Hall and a fair amount of money. But Anne Walker, who is the lady that, during the show, uh, Anne Lister, it's about her pursuit of her. Yes. And she first is in pursuit of her because she has a tremendous estate and a tremendous amount of money that she is in charge of. And that was going to be helpful to her to live the life that she wants to live mm -hmm. and to be able to travel. And, and if it was two well-to-do ladies with land and money, they would be above reproach. It wouldn't matter how they were spoken to in the streets. It wouldn't matter. No one would challenge them because it would just be accepted that they were of this level. So that was really Anne's goal with her until we discover in the show that she kind of really did fall in love with her, I think. Her mistake. Whoops. <laughs> Oops, I fell Oops. into the gay again. Sorry. Oops. Oops, I caught feelings. Exactly. That happens a lot. 
that that's a trend that we see throughout lesbian history. But don't you think that yes, don't you think that it made it easier for Anne and Anne Lister and Anne Walker, who eventually becomes her wife, for them to live openly and to marry and to you know live together and to be each other's you know quote unquote companion, because they are not in the same situation that the other women that Anne was involved with. Absolutely. I mean, if the number one thing that helped a lot of queer people back in the day was if they had money. Because if people have money, they have power. And if they have power, people aren't going to persecute them like they do if you don't have money. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's the same type of thought with, um, what was that show? Uh, Colette. Yes. They did and didn't have money all at the same time. Mm -hmm. So you would see them, you know, in, in trouble and it's because, you know, they didn't have money, they didn't have a way to get out of things. But then once... Colette started earning her own money, made a name for herself, it was completely fine. So yeah. it's something like you see you see that this is a pattern that the more money that you have as a queer person, the safer you are. That's not, and and thinking about uh like males, Oscar Wilde. <laughs> Oscar yeah. Wilde for one, it was known widely that he was gay. Did he have a mm-hmm. wife? Yes. Did his wife live at the summer home with him? Yes. Where he also had many male companions come and live with him for months and months at a time. Did it come back to bite him and he went to prison? Yeah, but when he was super, super old, and it's because he messed with the wrong guy who had more power than him, which that yes. guy had nothing happen to him. So mm-hmm. it's something we see over and over again, and it's not, like, it's proved that it's not fiction. That's been how society is forever. Mm-hmm bringing this around I think that's one of the things okay the, the things I love about this show and I think <laughs> that the reason that it's caught fire on gay Twitter mm-hmm. and and basically everywhere is because I'm just gonna put it out there this is the best queer program film or television I've ever seen I will agree with that because it's the truest like it exactly. is the most it is the most like re- okay so the show you get into it it is Anne Lister as the main character. The main character is gay and unapologetic about it. It's yes. not about her struggling with her own coming out. It's not about, like, oh, they're persecuting me. It's about, I want a wife. This is how I'm doing it. There are other struggles. I find that even with this show, you know, yes, main queer. Love that. But I'm still into, like, the side stories and stuff. Yeah. Like, I'm, I'm worried about that guy, Thomas, who's gotten married and killed his dad and everything. Like, <laughs> Fed him to the pigs. I'm yeah. super worried about him. But in another show, I wouldn't care about that because Anne's story would be that side story. Mm-hmm. So I think that yeah. this is the best that we have because it is the main story and it's unapologetic about that. It gives yeah, you that fullness. It's flipped the tropes, flipped the yes. genre, flipped the... Um, I mean, it's so hard for me to even explain because it is like nothing else that we've seen. Exactly. So it's it's hard for me to, and I think that's why it's like it's captured me and so many other people. It's, it's come along at the right time. If this show was ten years ago, no, I don't think that it, it's even if it's done as well as it was. I still don't think that we were ready for no. this show. And also not a villain. That's something we should talk about because it seems yes. that most often we get a main character that is, you know. Mm-hmm is the main character, they have some kind of, like, they're bad, they're a bad guy, they're villainelle. Like, yes. that's what we get. We get yes. those types of characters. And yet, here we see Anne Lister. She is not in this for some malicious intent. Mm-mm. She is not 
harming people. She's not killing people. She's not what, any of it. Here's what Ann Lister's about. Ann Lister's about, this is my fucking house. Mm-hmm. I can take care of it better than the men who should have possibly inherited had they not died. Mm-hmm. Um, I can handle it better than my father. and Or my sister, who's <laughs> here. So this is my house, and I love it, and I love this family, and I, I love this ancestry, and I love all this. So I'm going to handle my, my shit over here. And then she comes back there, and then she's like, hey, wait a minute. I could be making, I need to make more money. How can I make more money? And somebody says, oh, you've got these coal pits over here on your land. Mm-hmm. And you can make more money with these coal pits if you mine them yourself than if you sell the coal rights to someone else. So what does Ann fucking Lister do? Doesn't know a goddamn thing about coal mining. She educates herself on coal mining. Mm -hmm. And she learns everything about coal mining. And no one expects that of her. Although she's a challenging character and everyone in the town knows it because (laughs) everyone, it seems like everyone in the region's like, like, like immediately in the very first episode, as soon as like they know she's coming and like her carriage comes and then one of the footmen or something comes in and says, you know, Miss Lister's here. And everybody's like, oh, she's here. She's here. She's here. You know, everyone freaks out because they've got to like snap too because that's how she is. So she learns about the coal mining. And then all of the various other aspects, they have a person who collects the rents on their property and he's fallen ill and the father's just sitting there not doing anything. He would have let the rents not be collected mm-hmm. and they would have lost everything. And she says, well, I'll collect my rents. And everyone's like, you, a woman, collect the rents. Why shouldn't I? They're my rents. You know, it's just this attitude. I mean, it's it's, it's such a lesbian attitude. Yes. And we don't see that a lot. And she's actually no. getting shit done and it's not in a mean way. Like, it's not, she's not going to these houses of her tenants and, like, beating them until they give her money. She's just like, hey, give me what you owe me. Yeah. Like, here's our conversation. You know what you owe. That's what I'm getting. And she's not going to, like, try to push them into anything. And we don't get that a lot. So I think that that's why this character is somebody that we can all kind of find something in. She's behaving as we're used to seeing a man behave in these roles. And we would never question an assertive male asserting his right to collect his rents on his land, control who lives there, control how it's how it's handled, and do the, the day-to-day business of it. And in that town, it's just kind of rocking their world that she's come back and she's doing this. Like, they expect it ever because they're like, oh, yeah, it's Ann Lister and she's this way. But at the <laughs> same time, they're still just, like, being confronted with it is like, you know, what are they going to do? So, number one, we're like I said, we're seeing her come back. This is my home. I'm going to take care of my home. She's come back. And she's also decided that I want to have a love. And it's going to be a woman. And I don't want to just have these relationships I've had my whole life where it's all been secretive. And, you know, at that time, women could... There was nothing uncommon about women spending time together in the bedroom. Mm -hmm. It was just they were sitting and courting and visiting. But it wasn't in, like, thought of nobody knew exactly what they were doing like exactly. we said you don't know the word lesbian you don't know that relationship you don't mm-hmm. know what's going on and even if you had an idea it was just that it was different so she doesn't want to be that anymore she wants to live honestly and find herself a wife and right there in that first episode they don't they don't hem and haw around about it and like mm-hmm. urbate us and leave us sitting and waiting for you know six episodes in and then we get a little <laughs> bit a little bit of gay stuff and then the show's over you know yeah and i think that's why it's been so successful right out of the gate it was like it's like somebody there and i don't know if it was sally wainwrighter who said let's give the gays what they want yeah 100 percent. they knew what we needed like it's been too long it's been a terrible year like they yeah. they gave us what we needed yes <laughs> and so i think that it's just like it's just been empowering for 
you know, and I keep saying lesbians, but, and, and I'm glad that this, this, there's no question about this. There isn't like, well, is Anne bisexual or is she pansexual or whatever? This is a lesbian character. Mm-hmm. And I know that there's a lot of talk and a lot of issues and a lot of struggle in our community right now with, with TERFs and, um, <sighs> ev- and, and the word queer being adopted more over lesbian. Anne Lister was a lesbian. She was. She was. <laughs> <laughs> as she described herself, there was no, as she said, uh, like a, someone said about her marrying a man, like it would be a wholly unnatural or that she couldn't mm-hmm. fathom it. She, she, she's a lesbian. So let's just, let's give two cheers for that. We can still have <laughs> lesbians. Everybody else can be how they are. Let's all be how we are. Some of us are lesbians. So that's something to champion behind, I think. Um, and we don't get it that much in TV because I think the writers and the networks and things want to skirt around so they have a wide berth to play with. Oh, if this isn't going over well, well, then this character can always go back to a man. Or whatever. But I that's hate not gonna that happen. a lot. I do too. I, I, I was recently watching... Do you watch the Stranger Things uh, seasons? Yes. Did you watch the new one? Yes. With Robin? And the yes. way that she was like, I was into this girl. I was into the girl, not you. Like, but Great. Yeah. But they didn't explicitly have her say, hey, I'm I'm a lesbian. I'm gay. Mm-hmm. They didn't even have her say I'm gay. They just had her talk about a girl. So that leaves a little bit of wiggle room that if they decide they want her to end up with Steve, mm-hmm. they can. Mm-hmm. And like... Because they established the relationship with Steve. Yeah, they do. And, the, and the, um, they established their uh, chemistry. Yes. They did, and they did have it. Um and then whenever they're having to see in the bathroom and Steve is without telling her that she's the one that he's interested in and that's changing his life or whatever. And you see the devastation on her face as yeah. she realizes he's talking about her. You know, I was like, I just want her to say it, you know, yep. like, but it, it was better than what it could have been because You're they could right. have just made her bisexual or pansexual and well, nothing I'm, gets bi's and pans. Something y'all my I favorite completely friends. agree with that. I completely <laughs> agree with that. Like, I'm fine if that's what, what's happening. Mm-hmm. But I think that there's something to them having that moment there mm-hmm. where they could have taken it that one step to, like, establish what exactly is going on because the yeah. way they left it, it left it open-ended should they want to do something. And I don't like that. Because even no. the actress uh, that's Ethan Hawke's daughter, I love My- him. Maya Hawke. I, I, love, I love her father a lot. So, like, so seeing I. her in things is great. And so... Like, she's even spoken about it and been like, yeah, I play a gay character. Like, that's that's totally what she's been about. Yeah. And then if they can go back and they, you know, they can change that scene to make it something different. Mm-hmm. It, it means something different then. And I think that that's what's refreshing about going back to Gentleman Jack. It just is what it is. And they didn't yes. leave an open-ended. They didn't leave notes that she could have done this or this. They literally just like, here it is. This mm-hmm. is it. Have it, enjoy it. And I wish we had more of that in shows that are modern and even in the past. Yes, and let's flip around a little bit and let's jump ahead and let's say that, uh, okay, so in the first episode, Ann Lister sets her sights on uh, another local woman, Ann Walker, who is 10 years younger than her. Mm-hmm. She is she is uh, heading a very rich estate, though. But she is what you would want to, uh, what they call and what his, she has been referred to as fragile. Um, maybe her mental state was not quite stable, mm-hmm. um, and she had a lot of physical complaints, which we all know that mental and physical complaints can sometimes trigger each other off. Mm-hmm. She's 
coddled by her family. They treat her very um, delicately. But also, she's the one that controls the money in the land. So they can't do too much with her because <laughs> they are all wanting to borrow money from her all the time and never pay it back. And take parcels of land and never compensate her for them. And take her, her herds of whatever animal and uh, her sheep and never compensate her. And she's just sitting there alone in that big house. And she finds out that Ann Lister has come back to town. And she's instantly intrigued. And we find out that she met her once when she was younger. And she says 19 in the show, but I feel like I read that she was younger even when she saw her. She like was. Four, I, 14. I thought she was very young. I thought she was 14, so yes. I don't know why they say 19, other than because they're worried about a 14-year-old and putting sexual thoughts yeah. in a 14-year-old's mind, like they did with Everything Sucks, the TV mm-hmm. show on Netflix, which I still am convinced that the queer community got that show canceled um, <laughs> because they had such outrage because one of the actresses was 19 and the other one was 15-ish or 16, I think. Really? And yeah. I didn't and watch so pe- the whole thing. Oh my gosh. It was one of the best shows ever. <laughs> you really should go back and watch that one, but we'll do an episode about that one. Okay. But, uh, okay, so Ann Walker is there, and Ann Lister starts thinking, hmm, I think this, you know, I think I could maybe set my sights on this girl, and she's got money, and um, she's agreeable enough, and maybe this, I could marry this woman. And then we're off for the rest of the show. Mm-hmm. But we do meet the character of Ann Walker, and Ann Walker is just like everyone else. Like, like Ann Lister's been the rock star that's walked into her life. And you can tell she's instantly smitten with her and interested. And Ann Lister knows she, that's one of her biggest skills is how to play people. And not play them in a bad way, but how to make them like her. Mm-hmm. How to be social. How to get along with people who are out of her necessarily social status you know play up which is what she's always wanted to do so she takes uh sets her sights on that and that's one of the main parts of the show but what we see is a is a you know we know ann lister's a lesbian and she knows she's a lesbian but she doesn't know what ann walker's deal is other than that she seems intrigued in her but if we come around to the end of the show so spoiler alert (laughs) these two women do end up together after very a lot of romantic angst (laughs) <laughs> I yeah. mean it which, puts a lot of feelings in you that's for sure a lot of and that's the, one of the other things I love is like this show is fucking romantic mm-hmm. I mean it's we've got sweeping hilltop vista kisses and you know yeah that that moment where she can't where you know Ann Walker shows back up once Ann Lister comes back and the pit thing goes to hell like it's it's one of the ro- most romantic scenes I've ever seen in an entire show hetero or homo exactly like and it's just the visual of like them and then the sweeping planes what and the music could, exactly which it's the halifax moors that we're looking at there and moors as a whole are just beautiful and like overwhelming yeah. and then you yeah. put gay stuff in front of it and it's just <laughs> boom bigger than yeah. the titanic so much better so these two have had their their togetherness, their apart, their drama, their angst, the Ann Walker's health, Ann Walker's family trying to marry her off to other poor men who are just <laughs> looking for her money. So, and, you know, all of this. And then you've got Ann who gets involved with her, you know, coal pits. And, <laughs> and she's still trying to figure out who cut, who made that little boy lose his leg in the in the carriage wreck. She just and, cares so much about everyone. <laughs> God love her. God love yep, Ann yep. Lister. <laughs> so we've had all of this, all of this go on, and then we have like an episode where they're apart, and then 
Anne goes back home because her aunt is ill and, and she thinks that she's going to die and she's misled and she comes home and then she comes home and discovers that her pits are in financial ruin. She's taken the deeds to Shibden for a loan that she can now not p- repay. She is on a hilltop in that fabulous black outfit with that <laughs> fucking hat. And, and Anne Lister wore her hair up trying to just be, I think, practical. Like, she had long yeah. hair, but she's a lesbian. has got a lot of shit to get done. She needs that hair up. Well, most women, like, in that time, always kept their hair up because it was not very often that they cut their hair short. Yeah. Everybody needed to keep it put up because it was just so difficult to do anything. Well, I think it just, she's a lesbian, her hair got in the way. That sounds right. Roll it up here. But, man, when Ann Lister's hair is down in this show. It's lovely. it's, It's just, it's just the best because there's just, there's that masculine presentation and then it's like any time, if you notice, any time her hair is down are her vulnerable moments. I have noticed that. In fact, I was watching, so the last two episodes I watched uh, down on the coast with my dad. I, he was yeah. sitting in the room with me while I was watching on my phone. And he was like, that's a long show. It sounds it sounds intense. I was like, it's very gay. And he was like, oh, okay, whatever. So I was expressing my feelings and kind of talked to him. And I was like, any time that you see Ann Lister and her hair is down. She just seems so emotional and vulnerable and like something is like something could hurt her in this moment or mm-hmm. it could it can make or break her. And he was like, that's really weird. I don't know what you mean by that, but okay. <laughs> like he didn't get it because he wasn't watching it. But like right. if it, and he it was, might not have gotten it anyway. Exactly. But it was enough yeah. that while I was watching it, I had to express like there is a lot happening when her hair's down. Yes. When she has the uh thoughts in uh with mariana when they still are having their tryst you know all the while she's courting ann mm-hmm. walker she's still hooking up with mariana because <laughs> i'm just a firm believer like there's those relationships in your life that just never fucking go away mm-hmm. and now you shouldn't be cheating on people number one um, that should not be happening but for the two of them women had to do two parts on this because i ship mariana and ann lister <laughs> so hard yep. so hard i mean i love ann walker too but i ship mariana and because and I feel really bad for Mariana because of that thing where she's she has no choice she has to do what she's doing. Okay, digress. <laughs> anyway, that anytime her hair is down, she's fucking gorgeous and lovely, mm-hmm. as portrayed by the gorgeous and lovely and talented Sir Ann Jones. She's just beautiful hair, like she just does. Yes, yeah. It's just like you know, like it wasn't clean in those <laughs> scenes nope. and, and no no brushes, no whatever. It was just like however it came out of those hats, and it just looked exactly. even when they were going. In and Ann Walker's dream when they're going to the gallows to be to to be yes, hanged. and she's dirty as shit and her face is cut up and her hair's all over the place. I was just like, oh my god, she's beautiful. Yeah, I think that that's just your Ann as as it is. Like yes. that's just how she is in any show, any time. And, and you know, I've watched Doctor Foster. We, you know, I've talked about yes. that. She's she's gorgeous and beautiful in that too, and very talented and I think award winning. Other stuff she's done, but I think this is also a, a thing where the right actress at the right time in her life mm-hmm. hits the right role and so it all comes together I mean the performance is better than any of her other performances which were great that I've seen you're right about that yeah and there's just something about you know being I think she turned 40 and Ann Lister was 40 and so mm-hmm. she she was like to get this role at 40 years old is is a blessing to me mm-hmm. and so she just dove into it and I think that Ann Lister as she has said has like changed her she said she has adopted that walk that she carried <laughs> that she does that in, in daylight she's like and I get places faster and I get things done you know it's, it's like, a confidence it's something about a confidence yes. that yes. Ann Lister embodies and now Saran does like she she embodies that now 
So when they're on the lovely, you know, hillside above the the Shibden, uh, Halifax Moors, we see that she has hit rock bottom. Anne Lister has hit rock bottom. She might lose Shibden. She thinks Anne Walker's gone forever to her. It's mm-hmm. never come back. She thinks she'll never see her again. Mariana, that relationship is not going to be a, a, a life, you know, long partnership mm-hmm. of, of what she wants. Uh, everything has just fallen. And then at that time, Anne Walker has asserted her own independence and come back to Halifax because she has come to discover that she loves Anne Lister, like, in love with her. And so she comes back in just the perfect timing, walks up behind when she can't see her, and she turns around, they see each other. And it's just one of the best scenes ever. She tells her that she's in love with her, and she says, I, I think I've always been in love with I know I've always been in love with you. And so I discussed this with you earlier, and I said that I wanted to talk about it. Do we maybe think that, because she knew, she knew when she met her at 14, she was instantly mm-hmm. drawn to her. There was something. And so that's that thing you and I were talking about as mm-hmm. real life lesbians. <laughs> I'm sorry, as real life lesbians distract me. <laughs> like, I was just thinking like, oh, we could be Sims lesbians. Yes, but no, we're real life ones. <laughs> we're real life ones. We're real life ones who were li- real little girls who yep. were who were little, didn't know what our otherness was, but we knew it was something. Mm-hmm. But I knew I had like I, I certain women, you mm-hmm. know, fr- like friends of my sister who was 10 years older than me, older women teenage girls girls my own age yeah there were always these just relationships that were more there were always these friendships that i had that i i remember feeling like i was just consumed by it like it was just like i always wanted to be around that girl like i always wanted to i wanted her to want to be my best friend because i wanted to do everything with her i remember doing stuff like that and i remember like when i would play soccer i would always like when i was like being goalie i'd always want her to pay attention to me blocking the ball and like see i can do stuff like i remember when you're on the when you're on the road trips on the bus with the softball team and it's like you you know who am i who's gonna sit sit by this person will she want to sit by me and you plan those Uh, things out in your head beforehand and no i completely understand what you're talking about and i think that like you were gonna say probably is it and probably uh like ann walker probably Mm -hmm. always had those types of feelings yep but it in that time because they didn't kind of have any type of idea they would think that it was a mental disorder and yes. i think that that might be what made her seem so fragile is because she struggled so hard with that if you have those feelings and you don't you aren't able to come to terms with them and you don't have a name for them and you mm-hmm. don't have any other thing that you can see that lets it be grounded how can you ever be grounded exactly she probably felt unsettled her whole life. And that seemed to be what other people saw about her. They, they didn't know what to do, make of her. They didn't know. It, they all just kept saying, it's probably mental, you know? And That's there a common physically, thing. Yeah, physically anything wrong with her, but her mental was creating pains and, and, and problems for her in her whole being. So I like that, you know, she's, she says that, it, and, you know, that, I, that I've always loved you and that it feels normal and it feels right. Mm-hmm. I guess we're going to find out in season two because it has been renewed for a season two. It has, thank, thankfully, because if <laughs> I mean, but if it got left that way, it'd be perfect. Like it's if, that's what I was thinking. Like it, it seems like one of those shows that if that's how they close it out, that's how they close it out. Like mm-hmm. it's a good ending, but they left some things kind of open for us just in case. Yeah, and I think that I've read that they have now um, decoded three thousand, three hundred thousand more words. To start okay. building, to start building on the second, because we're left with them getting married. Well, they immediately took off, and went on a honeymoon, and traveled. Mm-hmm. 
um, that they had apparently a difficult relationship. You know, this show is, we see all the good of Anne, and we don't see the bad in the show. From what I, after you've read the book, we're going to come back after you've read the book, and we're going to do a two-part on this. Well, I want to say that even though you're saying we do see all the good in Anne, I do also see how she can be spiteful and bad oh. in the show. Like, when yes. I watch it, I'm just like, Anne could could easily be very bad. And even at the end of the season, when we see them at getting married and everything, mm-hmm. as they're walking off, that little conversation, that little, you know, yeah. flirty fight they have, yeah, it did kind of seem like, well, Anne could be going a little bit harsh here. Like yeah. it, yeah. But they left us with, like, that they were going to have this, like, little sitcom relationship exactly. back and forth. And, oh, look at these wives bickering like an old married couple. But it also makes it kind of seem like now Anne Walker feels like she can be Anne Lister's equal. And yes. she can finally have that banter back and forth because the way she was depicted throughout most of the show up to that point was, look at this fragile woman. And mm-hmm. then I think that moment where we see them on the moors together, where she makes her own decision, is where we finally get to see, oh no, Anne Walker is strong too. And so that's kind of the character we see when they get married as well. One of my favorite dynamics of this is, you know, there's a few things in there where there's one scene where they're in bed and they're, you know, fooling around. <laughs> and and Anne stops what she's doing and gets very, you know, vulnerable. And it's because those feelings have hit. Mm-hmm. And she realizes the power that this woman has over her. And she's a powerful woman. So the concept of another person bringing her to her knees emotionally, mm-hmm. it's it, that's, that's her Achilles. That's her kryptonite, you know. But we get to see we get to see that, and we see we only see her being strong with the other with Mariana pretty mm-hmm. much, and her other relationships. And there's a good four or five scenes where you get to see that Ann Walker, with all of her frailty and all of these things, like she has some power in this relationship. Oh yeah, and that's an interesting dynamic that I hope that. And whatever they're decoding out, I can't wait to read that stuff. And I hope that it comes around in the second season. And it's been hinted at by Sally Wainwright that that's where they're going, is to start into the married section mm-hmm. of the li- of her life. I mean, they could go back and do a prequel if they wanted to. Let's go back and There's get, There's plenty know. of stuff they could do. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I would watch the Mariana uh, uh, Anne years for sure. And then there's, <laughs> a, there's another character, um, Isabella Norcliffe, who is called Tib, like a mm-hmm. nickname. And she was another wealthy, landed uh, socialite that um, Anne had a lifelong relationship with, too. But Tip also knew she was gay. Yeah. So, yeah. So, you've got that character who has always been willing to give herself over to Anne, but yet Anne found her too vulgar. And she drank too much. And she was too loud for her. So, you have Anne, like, uh, I'm going off another tangent. You've got Anne going through all these relationships where these women could never give themselves over and the one that would she didn't want it, it and isn't that, that the way it is yeah. isn't that the way it is i think that what we're finding about Anne the most is that she is a serial monogamist it because she's not so much a player think about it like yes she she does talk to girls here and there but she has lifelong relationships quote yes. unquote with like six women like she she is a serial monogamist but she's Fucking all of them at the same time. I mean, okay, so, she's a serial long-term relationship. That's a player. <laughs> that's a player. No, players do not stay in long-term relationships. Players do like the five-minute relationship here and there, here and there, on and off. But she will stay in a long-term thing. Okay, okay, stop. <laughs> Let, 
one, one thing here. Okay, so she's not a player. So we got to name this. She's a lister. She's a lister. That's a new word for the for the lexicon of of lesbian slang and lingo. Is somebody that upholds these long monogamous relationships, but might fuck around a little bit uh-huh. with the same girls. Uh-huh. She's a lister. She's not a, a lister. player. She's a lister. Mm-hmm. So yeah, she's her own breed, a hundred percent. Like we've seen that time and time again when it comes to Ann Lister. She is yeah. her own breed. Definitely. Um, so I'm excited for you to read the books. And so since we didn't even touch on a few of the things that we <laughs> talked about, that we were going to talk about tonight because I got on a tangent, um, I do want to drop in one note. You know the ring that um, Anne wears on her index finger? Yeah, the black her, ring. Yeah. Did I already tell you about this? I saw that you and Stacy got them. I saw it on Twitter. And I was like, well, yeah, that's some gay shit. <laughs> Oh. Yeah, yeah, that's that's definitely that's some, yeah. We're bringing the gay with that. I we love actually that. we actually had been on the search for rings for those fingers for a while because mm-hmm. I I have a, just I got a bunch of rings anyway. Yeah, but, um, me too. So then I was like, man, I, I fucking and to myself, and I didn't vocalize it to Stacy. I was like, I love that fucking ring she's wearing. I wonder if I can find one like that. Could not find anything like it. And then I didn't know this, but Stacy had been looking for one for me online. And she sent me one and said, this is the closest one I can find, but it's not the ring. But I wanted to get this for you. And I said, well, wait a minute. The jeweler that made the stick pin, I saw that they made they recreated the stick pin that they did for mm-hmm. the show. I wonder if I email them and see if they'll make the rings. And I emailed the shop in England. Mm-hmm. And they were like, we've had a few requests, so yes, we're, we're going to work on them and make them. So they took orders for them, and so we're getting the exact replica rings. Oh, my God. That's shipped so from gay. England. <laughs> <laughs> but you know what that is? That's some Ann Lister would do. That so is okay exactly correct. Look, I was the person that was the giant fan of Twilight and had the Cullen Crest pinky ring. So, you know, that's fine. <laughs> I understand needing to have that. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I'm I am if 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 I am nothing else, I am clear and transparent about my obsessions, and this is an obsession and I will take it to uh-huh. the limit. Oh no, I get that. I'll go down with it. I don't care. I get that. I completely understand. <laughs> I'm glad it wasn't some big, super expensive, encrusted diamond she was wearing, though. <laughs> I don't think that that's something that Anne would wear. That's no, not going to no. be a thing. No, she's got the flat black onyx practical ring. She can go mm-hmm. out of the mine with that ring. She can ride the carriage and, and stop it from, you know, doing whatever. She it can shoot a horse. Stuff. She can shoot a, a, a lame horse when none of the men had the courage to do it. That was <laughs> that was big dyke energy right there, too. Yeah. Yeah. When the guy's like, I can't do it, I can't do it. She's like, give me that fucking gun. I mean, <laughs> I mean, yeah. Sometimes you gotta do what you gotta do, and Anne knows how to do it. Alright, so, you're gonna finish reading your book that came in, mm-hmm. which I've already read. I'm gonna finish the other one. I'm gonna see what else I can find. Okay. I think we get back here in a couple of weeks. We do a follow-up on this. Maybe discuss a little bit of that side of Anne Lister, like what you could find in the books, because I hope that people who are listening who are that interested but haven't gone that far will get the books and read, because I want everyone to know about her, and I want this show to be successful and them get as many seasons as they could still do well and not just be dragging it out or whatever. Like you Mm -hmm. said, if this first season ended and they didn't know it was ending, well, it had a good ending anyway. Like, it it seems like a finale, but, you know, if we get a second one, I'm sure it's going to be good, but I don't want them to keep making it just because it's popular. You know, I want it to be good. But I want as many people to know about it, and I want to talk about it as much as I can. And I'm I'm sure that Stacy is tired of me talking about it, so Tiffany's you won't get tired, tired of it too. Yeah, but you and I won't get tired of talking about nope. it. Nope. <laughs> Tiffany hasn't even watched it. Oh hell! She doesn't watch TV with me. 
really yeah. anymore because she just plays games now and works. She's like an adult or something. Yeah. But she knows about the whole story. She she does think it's cool, but yeah. hasn't watched yeah. it. Yeah. Oh, and did you know I made the thermometer pins? Like did for, you? For Butch and Sissy? Yeah, they come in Monday. Oh, uh, that's so awesome. So that'll be about a week from when we're recording this or so, but uh, those will come in and those will be online. So you can go to butchandsissy.co. And uh, I've also got an Etsy shop, but they'll be on there. And it's going to be, you know, I, but I don't know. I think it's a barometer. I don't think it's a thermometer. People keep calling it a thermometer. She says the thermometer. Difference? Yeah. So we're going to go with what she says. And it does look like a barometer instead of thermometer. But maybe that's just what the prop shop built. And a thermometer sounds better. Like, I like to take my thermometer on vacation. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it sounds better. So Barometer might just be a more modern term for it. True. I don't even know what the difference between thermometer and barometer is. Do you know? Barometer usually has an indicator that is like it captures wind and can tell you like the wind speed and stuff. Barometers are like what they still have on top of buildings. Yeah. <laughs> now she just wanted the temperature. Exactly. Vacation, so it's <laughs> we're gonna say thermometer. So anyway, yeah. If you guys don't know, I have the company Butch and Sissy and uh, enamel pins, t-shirts, stickers patches, all kinds of stuff. I'm getting ready to send uh, Beck a care package with the Silas University hat. Oh, I'm here for that. <laughs> and, and, and some other some other goodies that, uh, you don't have my Cream Puffs uh, Ramon shirt either, do you? No. Uh, I don't have much. I also don't have a job, so holla well, at your girl. <laughs> <laughs> well, your, your goodwill gets you some stuff over here, so uh, I'm going to send that out to you guys, but uh, to, her, to you, but you guys can check it out at butchandsissy.co, and I will have the Ann Lister thermometer pins on. I've got an Ann Lister t-shirt on there right now, so you can check that stuff out. Beck, what else you got going on besides coming back, reading books and coming back in a week and a half or two weeks? Uh, I am writing a paper for the London class, and I'm writing about Carmilla. Imagine that. I'm, I'm going to make her meet uh, Mr. Hyde from Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde in a graveyard. And it's going to be all gothic style. Wow. Yeah, I have to write like a whole scene. It's a whole thing. I'm also going to, you know, clean up my life. Yeah. I mean, when, <laughs> when big when big things happen in your life like that, it makes you kind of take an assessment. And I think that's the phase you're going through right now. And yeah. you're going to... I know what the plan is for the next week. Watch as much gay shit as I can. And also <laughs> watch Days of Mercy. Oh my yes, I could talk about it. I two movies. It. <laughs> two movies I recently watched, and we should dip in and talk about those next time a little bit. My Days of Mercy, the Ellen Page um, movie, uh, and then also one that got there was a lot of controversy going around a while back about it. People were upset with it, but I loved this movie, Tell It to the Bees. Okay, I, I've I heard about it. it. I, I heard it. A they lot changed then. the ending from the book, and people it was a beloved uh, book apparently, and they changed the ending. But to me, it's a cop out, and we can. T- I'm going to make sure you get that movie to watch. And okay. then we're going to talk about this one because, to me, I'm just like... I haven't read the book. And, you know, I, the only books I've read in the past ten years are Tina Fey's Bossy Pants and the Ann Lister Diaries. <laughs> so. Girl, we're going to have to fix that. I am an Man, English I, minor. All I do yeah. is read. <laughs> I read voraciously when I was a kid, but I'm I'm a TV I'm the opposite person. person. Now, so. I hated reading as a kid. And now uh, look at me. Yeah. No. <laughs> So I'll let you read the the Tell It to the Bees book, and then okay. you can tell me how that ends, and then we'll we'll compare and contrast with the movie. We can That'll do sound that. really scholarly, won't it? Yeah, it would. You know, com- compare and contrast. Compare and contrast. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, this has been fun. I'm so glad you're home. I'm glad that we're getting back into the swing of this. We're gonna try to get this edited and get it thrown up so that ev- or everyone can hear it, and hopefully take an interest in Gentleman Jack. And God, we have to wait till 2020 for season two. That's gonna kill me. But. If you get bored with the show or something, you could always do a drinking game with it. You could drink Gentleman Jack while watching Gentleman Jack. It's a great oh. idea. 
it is a great idea. We should work up that drinking game and publish we that. We should. <laughs> okay. All right. We just keep adding to our list of things to do, which we don't need to do, because then we'll never sit back down here and talk again, and we need to do that. <laughs> <laughs> You're All right, Beck. We're going to sign off. Thank you mm-hmm. for this talk. And, folks, we'll be back with more on Gentleman Jack. So hit subscribe to uh, this podcast if you like this and you want to hear more about Gentleman Jack. Um, you can get us on Spotify, Anchor, iTunes, any of those places. And on Twitter, we're at Gay Stuff Podcast. All right. All right. Thanks, guys. Bye.